Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right, all right. We are back for a second season, a second semester, call it what you want. Welcome back to Red Rock Relationships. And of course, I am your host. Uh, I'm thrilled to be back. We've got some really cool stuff planned for the upcoming semester. We're going to get some students involved. We're going to get some people here at DSU involved. Um, And most importantly, we're going to get to talking about some more detailed elements of relationships. Season one was a bit of a pilot for us, and now we are plunging forward. And I'm thrilled to be back. Today, my guest is somebody who most of our listeners probably haven't heard of, but in the world of human communication, um, she's what we like to call a rock star. I'm joined by uh, Dr. Denise Solomon. Thank you so much for getting on the program. Thank you, James. It's wonderful to be here. Wonderful to have you. So today we're going to be talking about uncertainty, which is my cup of tea. And if I'm not mistaken, yours as well. Um, I learned a lot about what I know surrounding uncertainty from your publications and, uh, and your conference presentations and stuff like that. And uh, it's, it's kind of wild to be here on the other side of that sort of thing. Um, I like to start all of our episodes by allowing the guest to just sort of give background uh, information about how you fell into what you fell into, who you are, where you're from, and all that stuff. So would you mind leading off with that? Sure, sure. I'll keep it short and I won't tell my whole life story. Um, But I'm actually from a small town on the coast of Oregon, and I graduated from high school and went off to college with every expectation that I would spend my life in broadcast journalism. Um, And the first class I took was interpersonal communication. And I stopped. Everything stopped for me. And I thought, wait, you can study this for a living. You can spend your time thinking about these issues and and made the decision then that I would go to graduate school. Um, It was a scary step because I was from a single parent home. And, uh, you know, when I discovered that they would pay your tuition and and pay you a little bit of money if you taught classes, I thought that this was like a holy grail. I couldn't believe it. I'd won the lottery. So I'm one of those people who just stayed in school forever studying the thing that I love to study. I got my PhD at Northwestern University working with Mike Roloff and Chuck Berger was there, who is you know, leading uh, edge scholar in the area of uncertainty um, and kind of set me on that path that uh, has taken me to Penn State finally um, via University of Wisconsin where my first job was. Cool, cool. And uh, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, Charles Berger, the, the author of Uncertainty Reduction Theory, which uh, I would argue is the first true theory of human communication. And so um, for you to be a product of him and then of course for uh, I would be the advisee of your advisee. And so that, that is, that's our lineage. Um, and it's funny, uh, it's funny how those things work and we all get together to, to talk about, write about and, uh, publish about, uh, uncertainty. Um, I think we should just kind of hop right into things. Um, this is a word that gets used a lot uncertainty. I'm uncertain about this, or I'm, I'm feeling uncertain about that. And people use it, um, 
interchangeably with different other words, which we'll get to in, in just a moment. But I think it's important that we take this time to kind of understand what uncertainty is versus what it isn't. And we need to spend some time talking about the different types of uncertainty that exist because there are a lot. So if you can, <laughs> you know, we could spend all day, but if you could um, maybe define uncertainty for us. Sure. Um, yeah, in general, let's define certainty as indeterminacy. I like that because I feel like that's a little more value neutral. Mm. So think about, you know, weather. I like to, I learn about things through analogy and metaphor. Um, but uncertainty is when you're unable to um, summarize or forecast a situation. Mm. So in my hometown on the coast of Oregon, there was very little uncertainty about the weather because on any given day, it's about 55 degrees, overcast, and probably going to rain. <laughs> uh, but in State College, Pennsylvania, where I live now, the weather can change dramatically from day to day. Even you know, in the summer, we might have a day that's 60 and the next day it's 85. And so there's a lot of uncertainty about the weather because it's hard to summarize what even what a day will be like, let alone forecast what the week will be like. Mm. Uh, so, you know, in relationships, when we talk about uncertainty in relationships, it it means kind of the same thing, a, a sense of indeterminacy about the relationship. So I might be um, unclear about whether or not unable to summarize my relationship for other people and unable to forecast where the relationship is going to be. Um, as far as types of uncertainty, that uh, I, I, I feels weird to preach to you about this because you <laughs> have been certainly doing a lot of important work on this topic. Um, in the work that I've done with my collaborators, we've focused on three different uh, types or facets of uncertainty in relationships. Um, we, uh, you know, it might be easy to think about how we're often uncertain about our partner in a relationship. Like, do they like me? Do they care about me? Are they gonna be there for me? Am I important? Are they committed? Um, and so we call that partner uncertainty. Uh, we might also wonder about the status of our relationship. You know, are we just friends? Our work early on focused primarily on dating relationships and perhaps, you know, scarred by our own experiences as college students who didn't know, is this real? Is this, are we, is this going anywhere? Is this going to last? Um, so relationship uncertainty are questions about the nature or state or future of the relationship. Uh, we also have self-uncertainty, which is sometimes we aren't sure if we want to be in a relationship. Do we like this person? Do we care about this person? Are we committed? Um, and we call that self-uncertainty. Uh, in the work that you have done, you've added network uh, uncertainty uh, into the mix, which I, if I'm summarizing it incorrectly, you'll, you'll fix it. But you know, the uncertainty that we might have about how our relationship is integrated into our social networks. You know, do my, you know, does my partner's friends like me? Do my, does my partner's family accept me? Um, so uncertainty isn't knowing that people don't like you, right? It's not knowing whether and how much they care for you and whether and how much they like you. So it is an indeterminacy, an inability to summarize or forecast the relationship. Yeah, and I gotta say, uh, hearing you summarize, my work to me is very surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think you bring up some really good keywords. Um, 
in the humanities in general, we talk about the ability to predict and explain, predict and explain, predict and explain. And ironically, when you study uncertainty, you're studying the inability to predict, the inability to explain. And that happens, of course, in, in a vacuum. And then it happens globally as well. And uh, in terms of relationships, yes, there are specific kinds of uncertainties that we experience about ourselves, about our partner, about the relationship, and about the people who uh, do surround those relationships. So, my next question is about the individual. Is it possible that some people are just more prone to being uncertain than others? Or is this kind of like a fixed experience that anyone can control and that anyone can modulate as they see fit? So the way I would answer that question is that I don't th I don't think that there are necessarily people who are more prone to being uncertain. I'll go back to my weather analogy, right? The my uncertainty about the weather is because the weather is highly variable or the weather is not knowable. So I don't know that people are necessarily prone to be in situations that are more unpredictable. Um, but I think that people vary in their tolerance for uncertainty or their need for certainty. So, uh, you know, and maybe anecdotally, we all know that person who's just really discombobulated by not knowing what's happening in their relationship and where things stand. And other people who are pretty comfortable with, yeah, I'm not really sure where we're going and I'm totally cool with that. So I don't know that they're experiencing different amounts of uncertainty, but I think they are spending a lot, one of them is spending a lot more time worrying about that uncertainty than the other. And there is a measure of tolerance for uncertainty that some people have used in, the, in their research. And we've included it a few times in our studies, but it hasn't really predicted much about uncertainty in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's just because people in general have less tolerance for uncertainty in close relationships than they do for uncertainty about the weather. Um, so I, I think I, that that's, you know, I, so for me, there's just people who are more distressed by uncertainty than others. Yeah, that tolerance is big. I always, I love to use the word uncertainty discrepancy, which is of course a measure that folks have used in other theories of uncertainty um, that we just simply do not have the time <laughs> to get into today. We could sit up here and talk about UMT and the team and all that good stuff, but it's just gonna take forever. Um, so uncertainty, as you're describing it to me, this sounds like a negative experience, right? Um, Often when we define things related to relational uncertainty, we talk about um, the degree of confidence that we have in X, Y, Z. And then we talk about the bevy of negative affect that is associated with these experiences. So um, I'm hoping you can break down some of the negative relational consequences of feeling uncertain. And then if there's room for it, are there positive outcomes of these feelings of relational uncertainty? Right. I like to distinguish between what I call the sort of valenced experience of uncertainty directly and the consequences of uncertainty. So, you know, the valenced experience, I don't think there's anybody who says, you know, oh, I love to be uncertain. But there are scholars who have argued that that there's an upside to being uncertain, that people like that sense of mystery and unpredictability. And it's the opposite of relationships being stale and dull. And isn't it great to you know, that romantic feeling of not knowing and wondering if it's going to work out, that's always better in your rearview mirror. But nonetheless, you know, that to me captures sort of the valenced experience of uncertainty. 
Um, in our theory, the theory I've developed with my collaborators, Jen Tice, uh, your advisor, Leanne Knobloch, Rachel McLaren, um, we focused on the, the cognitive processing consequences of being uncertain. So I'm going to return to that you know, weather example again. I just got back from a trip to Florida. I was moving my son. Mm. And um, I made the assumption that I didn't know what the weather would be like in Florida. So when we have uncertainty, we rely on heuristics. And so our cognitive processing is to default to heuristics that we use to figure things out when we don't have direct knowledge. So I'm going to Florida and my heuristic is that Florida is warm. And that is a bias I have. Heuristics introduce bias thinking because they're not accurate. It's not careful, it's not analytical. It's just sort of a shortcut. Um, so I was woefully unprepared for 30 degree weather in Florida because my heuristic was wrong. It was 30 degrees in Florida? Well, in the 30s. Wow. It was cold at night, but you know, I wasn't expecting it. Mm -hmm. Um, but my heuristic was that it would be warm. So we're, our argument is that uncertainty leads people to rely on these heuristics, and these heuristics allow introduce biases. Mm. So the bias could be po positive. Like maybe I would assume that maybe my heuristic is that my partner will always think of my best interests and will remember my will remember my food allergies, right? If I'm wrong, which my partner does not remember my food allergies, you know, could be serious, right? Um, but we also know that there's cognitive biases such as the fundamental attribution error, which is the tendency to blame people for their, hold people responsible for their actions, and that that error is increased when their actions affect us negatively. So the effect of uncertainty in that context is that we're more likely to blame partners for their problematic behavior. Mm. If I actually had less uncertainty, I would know whether or not my partner was intentionally behaving badly or had accidentally behaved badly. But my heuristic is they were doing it to harm me on purpose. Right. Right. So I would say that, you know, there can be, we don't think so much about positive or negative valence as just the fact that uncertainty leads people to engage in more biased cognitive processing because people rely on heuristics. Now, in our research, we show that uncertainty, relational uncertainty tends to correspond with, as you pointed out, all sorts of negative affect. So more polarized feelings of hurt, sadness, jealousy, right? Because when I see a relational threat and I'm experiencing uncertainty, the cognitive bias is our, our, we're, we're hardwired cognitively to protect ourselves from risk. Mm -hmm. So we have a tendency to over perceive risks because it might be a stake, it might be a stick, but if I think it's a snake, I'll live, right? right. So we exaggerate risk in our perceptions. So when I see a relational threat, I experience more negative, stronger negative emotions because that's a self-protective behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked, uh, we talked a good amount about that when we had Dr. Guerrero on to talk about jealousy and that that's one of the biased cognitions that is associated with heightened uncertainty. Um, and so again, your point about this being, it's all about the perception. It's not that I, you know, it's not that my partner is actually being infidelous or has forgotten my food allergies. It's that, I am worried that this might happen. And the research tends to show that that carries just as much weight as a genuinely hurtful behavior. The perception that the behavior might have been hurtful um, is important. And so this kind of leads me uh, into one of the final things that I wanted to ask you about. Um, your theory, relational turbulence theory, there's a lot going on in it. I wanna focus on the uncertainty portion of it. Um, 
relational uncertainty, right? Self partner relationship are argued to be integral um, and even generative to the turbulence process, meaning it's somewhere where we can start and then turbulence happens as a result of those cognitions, uh, a result of that uncertainty. Um, what, what does it mean to experience relational turbulence and what role does uncertainty play there? Well, you've described it really well, so thank you for that. Um, uncertainty leads to these kind of polarized biased experiences, which might accentuate, exaggerate high points and might exaggerate low points. Uh, we argue that turbulence is a relationship quality that emerges out of those highs and lows and those kinds of ups and downs that result from the uncertainty that's present in a relationship. So relational turbulence exists kind of on the same plane as, as concepts like relationship satisfaction, commitment, and intimacy. Mm. They're general characterizations of a relationship. Um, so turbulence uh, you know, is negatively correlated with satisfaction in most of our studies, but we've argued it's different than that because turbulence isn't when your relationship is always bad. It's when it's sometimes bad and sometimes good and sometimes bad and sometimes good. And there's mm -hmm. good days and bad days and high points and low points. And at the end of the day, I don't really know what tomorrow's going to be like, right? And it affects how I'm going to communicate with my partner because I can't, you know, shall, shall I plan a trip? Well, now no one's planning trips, but shall I plan a trip? I don't know. Will we like each other that month? Hard right. to say. Right. So the bandwidth of the experienced range of positives and negatives within the relationship is greater, we argue, when relationships are generally turbulent. So uncertainty, you know, is kind of folded into that term in some ways. I can't predict how things are going to be. But now instead of kind of being uncertain about what's going to happen in this particular moment, I'm just my whole relationship feels chaotic and unstable and uneven. Yeah, and it's I hard to summarize my relationship to others. Right, and I think about the relation, uh, the sorry, the relationship, the uh, the analogy that was used when I was in grad school by Dr. Tice was quite literally an airplane experiencing turbulence. Right, it's not that it's crashing, right? If your airplane is crashing, you know that your time is limited. It's going up and down and up and down and you don't know what's going to happen next. And so that was a very helpful um, uh, visualization uh, for me. Um, well, and to riff on that for a minute, sure. think about what happens when you're on an airplane. You know, you're, you're you know, going through the air very fast, but you're largely, it's invisible to you. You're not thinking about it. But when you do hit turbulence, suddenly you're acutely aware that you're in a little box that's somehow managing to defy gravity right then. Mm. And so instead of thinking about your destination or thinking about the work that you want to do or thinking about the family you're visiting, you're thinking about these bumps. Mm -hmm. Right. And so our ability in relationships to have a longer term view of our of what's happening in our partnership is compromised because we're really fixated on the here and now. Right. I think that's, wow, that's a good way. I've, I've actually never heard that part of it before. I really like that. Um, okay. So here comes the part where, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, this is going to be our Dr. Phil moment. <laughs> what are some of the things that people or couples can do when they're experiencing heightened levels of relational uncertainty, when they don't know what's going on with them or their partner or their relationship? How, what can we do to reduce this uncertainty? Because uncertainty reduction is really big in the field of communication. So what can we do to reduce that uncertainty and, and by extension, reduce the turbulence in our relationships? So for, to answer this question, I have to express gratitude to my former student, Kelly Bersini, who's now an assistant professor at Louisiana State. Because when Kelly showed up, 
to start graduate studies with me. She said, uh, Kelly's from the South, so I'm going to use her voice. She said, y'all ever study what makes it better? <laughs> and I was like, no, we don't. We haven't really looked at that yet. And so she really devoted herself and uh, has done some fantastic work at looking at what we can do to communicatively improve our relationships when we're experiencing uncertainty and or turbulence. Um, and so her dissertation research introduced the, uh, borrowed a theory from nursing that focused on how people experience major transitions related to health changes mm -hmm. and imported that into relational turbulence work uh, by examining different types of transition processing communication. So how can we communicate through a transition to forestall the develop because the transitions produce uncertainty because things have changed and we don't necessarily know how they're going to be in this new altered state. Mm -hmm. um, so the four types of transition processing communication that her research has done it, we've now done two 10 week longitudinal weekly diary studies wow. that have demonstrated that transition processing communication in one week between husbands and wives predicts uncertainty and relational turbulence in the next week. So pretty good evidence in overtime studies mm. that there's a connection. So transition, here's your Dr. Phil answer. Um, it helps when people increase interaction, like spending time interacting together. And I don't wanna just say talk improves everything because we know that that's not true. People can also argue. But being co-present and interacting with each other allows people to share information, right? That's gonna help reduce uncertainty because the certainty might be that you don't like me. I can work with that. Right. It's right. not knowing whether you like me that leads me. Your, your point about the airplane. If I know I'm crashing, there are certain phone calls I'm going to make. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. But if I don't know, I, I'm, I'm on hold. Right. Um, promoting connection. The ways in which people can um, make an effort to listen and care and stay connected to their partner can help with uncertainty. Um, because the focus is on, on navigating transitions, uh, communication that promotes feeling situated. So by that, it would mean talking about um, how our life has changed since between the transition. Right. So now that we've moved to this new town, here are some things that are different than they were before. So that helps us connect our current time and existence to our previous relationship, and that reduces uncertainty. And then increasing confidence in the relationship. Before I started working with Kelly, uh, I was working with Kirsten Weber, uh, who's at Central Michigan University. And we used to talk about how uncertainty has so many downstream negative consequences. Maybe rather than trying to focus on managing the stress of a health status or a health threat, maybe we just need people to say, I still love you. I'll always love you. I'm not leaving you. Mm. I, expressions of commitment to increase confidence in the relationship can be a really direct way to reduce uncertainty. You aren't sure how I feel about you? Let me take some time to tell you how I feel about you. Right. So that's our, that's our answer. Spend time together talking, try to promote shared activities, talk about the past and the present to put those things together mm -hmm. and, you know, and express your commitment to the relationship. Well, those are really way more specific, especially given that we're talking about uncertainty. That's way more specific than I thought. Also, a special shout out to Kelly, because I know that uh, you and her put out a new measure of relational uncertainty, and I have used it in both measuring relational uncertainty and network uncertainty, and it is a straight up awesome 
measure. So just to nerd out for a moment there, that's that's a great measure. Um, and that is really cool that y'all are studying that using diary methods. It's a very detailed, painstaking um, uh, style of research for those of you who are not familiar. Um, I thank you so much for your time. We, uh, we just have a little bit of time left, so I'm going to give the first outro of the year. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for the individual mentoring that you gave to me. We were not affiliated in terms of university, so you didn't have to do that, and I really appreciate you helping me uh, guide through my process. <laughs> well, you're more than welcome. I, it's always a, a, a delight to see smart people interested in studying relationships and studying uncertainty in relationships, and look at this wonderful thing you're doing and bringing some news of our field to a public audience. All right, well, next week we'll be back to talk about some more fun stuff, specifically the self. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.